Welcome to episode 78 of the Adventures with Grammy podcast. I am your host, Carolyn Berry. Today's guest is Dr. Abigail Steffen. She earned her doctorate a few months ago from Clemson University after successfully defending her dissertation, examining intergenerational relationships in the family. I, along with other listeners of this podcast, contributed to her research. Abby will give us insight as to why the grandparent-grandchild relationship must be intentional and have space to be spontaneous, why parents must provide opportunities for grandparents and grandchildren to interact, and why bi-directional learning creates strong memories for grandchildren. She also gives us insight into the complexities of the modern family system. Welcome, Abby, to the Adventures with Grammy podcast. What prompted you to do intergenerational relationships for your dissertation? A lot of it was motivated by early experiences that I had. When I was around two years old, my mom went back to nursing school and we moved in with my paternal grandparents. And we lived there until I was four, almost five years old. And in that time, my grandfather's mother was also diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And so she moved into the house as well. So we were in a four generation household and I was the only child. So you can imagine I was very spoiled with five adults and, and just me, but it was a really great experience to, to be with my grandparents and my great grandmother during that time when I was young, developing. And so we had a really strong bond. And when we did move out, we moved five minutes down the road. My grandparents continued to be a really important part of my life. And then eventually we moved another state away, but because I had that really solid foundation and I was able to keep in touch with them through technology and continued visits that my parents really prioritized, they were really a a pivotal point in my development from childhood through adolescence and into adulthood. And so I'm very fortunate in that way. But I've also talked to a lot of other people who have not had the same experiences with their grandparents. For whatever reason, they either weren't as close, they didn't have the opportunity to be near their grandparents or connect with their grandparents, even if there was a geographic distance. I was really interested in understanding why some relationships with grandparents between grandchildren and grandparents were strong and powerful and had a really important impact on both the grandchildren and the grandparents. But then also the flip side of that and understanding why those relationships may not be as strong as they could be, and then how we can build different supports to help uh, bolster those relationships so that everyone is really benefiting as much as possible from them. Now that you're Dr. Stefan and you've finished your research, what do you look forward to doing? I'm very much interested in applying the research. A lot of academic context, it's very much, okay, this is our study, this is what we've done, and you just share it with other people who do the same thing. What I'm really interested in is doing the research, seeing what happens, but then also looking and seeing how we can apply and translate things to real life so that it actually impacts the people that we're interested in helping. I'm really excited about the prospect of getting to build programs or educational tools for both grandparents and grandchildren to help connect them. That's definitely a little bit further in the distance for me. I still need to really work on having that solid research base, but I'm very application focused in thinking about 
great, we've done this work, now what are we going to do with it? What you found reinforces what I believe. So I think it was really exciting. Right, well, and and part of research too is, is having some of those, well, duh, conclusions that are being made, but that are supported by research and that are supported by multiple experiences instead of what we know to be true anecdotally. I was pleased and interested to find that not too many of my findings were surprising. Some of them were really intriguing. And I thought, oh, well, I've never thought about that before. Or this is something that may be worth digging into a little bit more. But for the most part, it was, okay, for grandparents who are engaged with their grandchildren, this is what we would expect to see. But at the same time, there are still challenges that are present for these grandparents who are doing everything that they can to be optimally engaged with their grandchildren. I'm honored that I was actually one of your participants in this survey. So it was kind of cool. Right. And it, it was it really, it was really heartening and really exciting to see how many grandparents like you take their job as grandparents so seriously and are so engaged in being a grandparent that they have things like podcasts or they've written books or they have websites to help other grandparents. And so through this process, I found a lot of really interesting resources that I hope to propel forward and, and let more people know about because it really is a community. And the more that we can crowdsource and build knowledge, especially from grandparents who have boots on the ground in this, um, I'm obviously not a grandparent. I'm in my 20s, and so I don't have grandchildren, but it's something I'm really passionate about, and I want to be able to empower grandparents who who are doing really interesting and really neat things. Are your grandparents still with you? My maternal grandparents are not, but my paternal grandparents are. They were actually, I, I had lots and lots of conversations with them throughout the whole process of deciding what I wanted to do for my research, conducting the research. And then they were actually present at the, the presentation. I was able to give the presentation over Zoom. And so they watched as I talked about all of this research. I went through the study. And so they've absolutely been a pivotal part in getting me to where I'm at and inspiring the work. And then being able to see it and watch it has been really exciting and rewarding for me. Oh, that must be exciting for them as well to see you go from this little tyke living in their house to now becoming a doctor or a PhD. Right. That's really exciting. Well, and I don't think anyone was too surprised by it either because I would be playing school. Uh, we played a lot of uh, matching games. We did a lot of educational activities. My, my grandmother was really intentional about making sure that I was being stimulated both academically, but also through things like art and traveling. We would go to the, the Marine Science Museum all the time and make up games, use our imagination. And so she absolutely fed the creativity and the desire to learn and grow and explore within me. And so I'm, I'm indebted to them. The dedication to the, the dissertation was entirely for them, uh, both my paternal grandparents and my maternal grandparents. You are talking about your grandparents taking you to the Marine Science Museum. That is the kind of experiences my late husband and I did with our children. The mm -hmm. Marine Science Museum had not been built when my children were young. 
But as soon as it opened the door, we had a family membership and it was wonderful when it was raining and we couldn't go to the zoo or the botanical gardens or go to the beach or do something else outside. We had this fallback activity that was just absolutely fascinating. And no matter how many times we went to the museum, there was always something else to see or do or touch. And the kids loved it. Right. And I, I love the idea of not only giving them the experiences, but just the space and time, getting rid of that strict schedule of, okay, we're going to go to the giraffe exhibit, then we're going to go to the elephant, but just saying, okay, we're at the zoo. Where do you want to go? And letting them lead the way, letting them guide you. A piece of my dissertation focused on the teaching and learning that happens between grandparents and grandchildren. And just as important as it is for grandparents to teach their grandchildren things, it's also important for them to be taught to and let the grandchildren be the teachers and to be open and to learn from them. Because that's really where a lot of that magic happens is in that reciprocal relationship where you're acting as both a teacher and a learner. And I think that that's really special and having set adventures with the space to explore is where a lot of that happens. Absolutely. I think that's an important lesson for grandparents is that grandparents are not always the teacher. It is helpful for us to be open to what the little ones are teaching us. And I I think a misconception too is that my grandchildren have to be a certain age for me to be able to learn from them. They have to be enrolled in school where they're learning something outside of the family so that they can come back and I can truly learn something. But what you're learning from your grandchildren doesn't necessarily have to be related to content. You don't need to be learning or your grandchild doesn't need to be learning about the ecosystems and then teaching you in the literal sense that we think of education and teaching. You can learn something from your two-year-old grandchild who just says something and it makes you think differently. And so there are a lot of different ways that we can think about and apply the concepts of teaching and learning that aren't strictly educational based, which I think is what comes to mind for a lot of people when they're thinking, well, I don't have anything to teach them. I don't know anything about the lifespan of a butterfly, or I don't know how to use social media, which is what my teenage grandchild's interested in. Uh, There are a lot of other things that you can contribute and a lot of things that you can learn from your grandchildren. It brings to mind the whole phrase of seeing it through your child's eyes. Right. I've heard so many people say, oh, I love Christmas. I love seeing it through the child's eyes. Well, that means that you're learning from that child. It's rekindling your memories from your childhood. So I think we definitely need a broader approach to the term learning. I like what you've said. I almost think a, a good term is perhaps perspective taking. Uh, you, you get to learn things from a new perspective and just think about things in a way that you may not have done in, you know, 50 or 60 years just because of the way that they're viewing things and the type of experiences that children now are having that just weren't as they were when, when you were growing up in that time. So there's, there's lots of different things to take in from grandchildren. We definitely live in a different world. Oh, yeah. Even the issue of the school building, like it's not always... Mm-hmm sitting in a classroom, it's sometimes going out into the community or electronically learning via Zoom or whatever. But let's get back to your actual at the beginning of the research. You had a couple of questions that you were focusing on. Can you tell us about that? Yes. So for my dissertation, I, I opted to do a three manuscript dissertation 
which essentially means that I was looking at three different big studies that I wanted to do. Partially because I had a lot of questions, I'm really curious about a lot, and this was a great way to explore a, a lot of different areas. And so the first piece of what I was looking at really focuses on how can we apply what we know about intergenerational learning in the community, which is pretty well studied. There are a lot of studies and research and work on what it looks like to have strong, robust intergenerational programs in communities, in schools. And I was really interested in understanding how the, the work that's been done in that field and the principles that have been developed can be applied to families and intergenerational learning that happens within the context of families. And what I found from that question was essentially that uh, the things that are important in community intergenerational learning, such as learning about your own generation and others' generations, this idea of reciprocal and equal exchanges, which is what we were saying with the teaching and learning piece, and then also shared commitments and goals all still exist in the family, but an additional component is relationship building. And so you go into an intergenerational experience between grandchildren and grandparents, um, or even children and, and parents or parents and grandparents with the goal of building a stronger relationship, whether that's consciously or unconsciously. And so that was a really interesting finding from my first research question from that first study. And then the second one, which ended up being more of a beast than what I thought uh, it would be, but, but for a good reason, it, it's the piece that we've been talking about the most here. And it looks at what it means to be a grandparent in the 2020s or to be what I call a modern grandparent. So most of the research on grandparenting happened in the, the late 70s, early 80s. There was this really big uptick in interest in learning about grandparenting and what it means to be a grandparent. And then it kind of slowly trickled until the early 2000s, where there was another uptick through about 2010. But there hadn't really been a big, large-scale consideration of what does it look like to be a grandparent all within one study. And I thought the world looks a lot different now. And at this point, 2022, or when I started this research in 2020, than it did in even 2010, when we just think about things like technology, life expectancy, uh, family structures. And so I was really interested in understanding how things have changed, how they've progressed since that last big study around 2010. That was my second big research question. And then the third looked at how relationships with grandparents impact children who are now young adults. And so that's people within 22 to 35 years in age. And so I interviewed people who had what I call recreational grandparents. So I think most of your audience probably considers themselves to be recreational grandparents, which just means that you're not responsible for the primary care of your grandchild financially, emotionally, um, you may live in the same house with them, but their parents are still involved versus what we call custodial grandparents or grandparent caregivers, where they provide primary care. The parents are no longer in the picture um, or are largely absent for a variety of reasons. 
And I was interested in looking at how those two different groups, so young adults who have recreational grandparents versus young adults who have custodial grandparents view their, their grandparents' impact on their life now, the types of decisions that they've made about their lives, the things that they value and that are important to them. And so that was really what I was looking to capture in that third paper was from the grandchild's perspective, when they've had some time to think back and reflect on the role that their grandparents played, what do they say? How do they say their grandparent has impacted their life? That's really that work in a nutshell. I've had one guest on who talked about grandparents as parents and her grandchildren are, are young. So she hasn't mm-hmm. had the, the reactions from them as an adult. But I was really taken by some of the comments of your participants about how the grandparent-child relationship was so different when the grandparent was actually the mom and the grandma at the same time. Can you talk to us about what your findings were? I think there's an important caveat to add here before we start talking about this. And it's that this grandparent caregiver custodial grandparent role is very diverse. There's a a variety of forms that it can take. And so you could potentially be living with your your grandparents temporarily. Um, For example, one of my participants, her parents went through a, a relatively rough divorce and they both decided it would be best if she lived with her grandparents for Um, about eight months while they were sorting things out and figuring things out. And so technically, she was considered to have had custodial grandparents because those grandparents financially provided. She stayed in their home. Uh, They they went to school using her uh, or her grandparents' household address. And so for all intents and purposes, her grandparents were raising her. And so that counts. On the other end of the spectrum, Uh, One of my participants was born, lived with her mom for the first year of her life, and then her mom moved back in with her grandparents and was in and out for gaps lasting from five to seven years or so. And so her mom would live there for a few years, leave for several years, come back for a year or two. And so she was completely raised by her grandparents until 18 when she moved out of the house. There's a lot of variation in in what we see in what we call custodial grandparents. We don't have a great name to delineate how much of a custodial grandparent are you. It's more just have you been, are you, or are you not? And so it's important to think about that because that completely changes the experience that not only the grandchild is having, but also the grandparent. If you know that you're responsible for caring for your grandchild for a short amount of time, that's one thing. But if it is not that caring for grandchildren is a burden, but sometimes when you're in a, when you're thrust into a situation where financially you haven't planned to take care of a child and raise a child, it can be a financial burden, sometimes an emotional burden, especially if the circumstances are not ideal in which you are caring for your grandchild, which often they are not in the case of custodial grandparents. And so all of these things are really important factors to think about. I think one of the most interesting pieces from this work though that I found with adult grandchildren of custodial grandparents is that there was a lot of role confusion. And so for those who, for some part of their childhood had 
recreational grandparents who then at some point functioned as custodial grandparents had a lot of trouble then going back to having a recreational relationship with their grandparent because they weren't sure, okay, is this my grandma? Is this my mom? How is this person functioning? Are, are they the primary disciplinarian? Um, do I need to report to them? Or are they more of a, a friend and confidant more so than a parental figure? And so there was a lot of difficulty with participants just understanding sort of their place in the family system, their parents' place in the family system. And so it leads to a lot of role confusion. At the same time, the adult participants in this category really felt like their grandparents had a strong impact on who they became and influenced who they were, but absolutely one set more than the other. And so you can imagine if you're living with one set of grandparents, you may have less access to the other set of grandparents, especially if there was an uncomfortable falling out between your biological parents, then there might not be that strong connection between the two grandparent sets that allows there to be opportunities to go visit the other grandparent that's not caring for you. And so there's a lot of challenging dynamics that are happening, but ultimately fairly strong relationships with the grandparents who are raising you. I think a lot of people in research just haven't really taken the time to step back and think about how living with one set of grandparents then influences the other set of grandparents' ability to have a relationship. I remember seeing one quote from a grandmother who said she wasn't able to see her grandchildren because the maternal grandparents had custody and she mm -hmm. was just completely shut out. And I thought, oh, that is so sad. And not even just with the, in the case of custodial grandparents versus non-custodial grandparents, I was surprised to see how many grandparents who were recreational grandparents and whose grandchildren were in the care of their own parents face similar struggles with either uh, a parent saying, no, I, I don't want you to see them or we're too busy, you can't come visit or no, you can't FaceTime with them or get on Zoom with them because we have other obligations. And so parents were really acting as gatekeepers in those scenarios. And that seemed to be much more of an issue than what I had previously expected it to be. And there hasn't been a lot of work in that area. So that's something that I specifically noted and, and want to look into more because there's something happening there with, with some parents who are controlling that relationship in a way, especially when there are young grandchildren, that makes it difficult for the grandparent to connect with the grandchild because there just aren't as many opportunities afforded to them. That is a huge issue in the grandparenting community. I know several grandparents who are unable to see their grandchildren because of family dynamics. I would say those were the most emotional responses that I was reading through when I got the results back for my survey. It was heart-wrenching how frustrated and how confused and hurt the grandparents that were in that situation were. Because a lot of the times there's not clear communication around why this is happening, or it seems like an easy solution, like, okay, you don't want me to, to feed the kids ice cream after 8 p.m. I can stop doing that if that's the issue so that I can still see them. Um, and then the parent might come back and, and still refuse to, to allow contact. And so 
there's often something deeper happening, but providing scripts or uh, different forms of communication to help facilitate those conversations, I think would be really helpful because it is difficult and emotional and confusing. So let's go back to the recreational grandparent and the things that you found that grandparents and grandchildren enjoy doing with each other. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I I was really excited to, in case you can't tell, I was excited for the whole thing. This is obviously a topic that I'm <laughs> passionate about and, and I get excited about in general. And so having having the ability to talk to someone that's also immersed in this is is always exciting for me and a great treat. But I think what what I found most interesting, again, going back to this idea of teaching and learning, is that there really is this bi-directional give and take that grandparents and grandchildren, uh, when working together optimally, do. And so there were a lot of opportunities for that that I saw in this work. And so some of the the things that I I really enjoyed seeing were, um, for example, doing TikTok dances together. So there was a, a younger participant who was interested in, in doing TikTok and she talked about uh, helping her grandparent do that and incorporating her grandmother who lived next door to her to participate in this and to, to make this sort of a, a co-generational venture. And so that that was exciting to see. But then some other things that I saw were just um, providing love and guidance. That was a really big one that was important to a lot of grandparents. And so that could be formal in the sense that, okay, we're going to sit down and have a conversation and talk about, you know, the moral lesson. It could be bringing grandchildren in for a hug, or it could be something that, that is not quite as obvious where you're just watching them, guiding them. And so that was interesting to see. There were a lot of responses that were um, just talking about how the importance of being loving and nurturing and understanding was incredibly important. You had four big questions that you asked grandparents. Mm -hmm. And so you wanted to know how they, what they felt was their purpose and what makes your relationship special. And then that whole bi-directional learning, what have you taught your grandchildren? What have they taught you? So talk about those questions and what you found from that. Yeah, so my goal with asking those questions was to keep them really open-ended. And so when you're thinking about your purpose as a grandparent, those responses really fell within two different categories. And the first one, um, I ended up calling providing tangible support. So this could be things like babysitting and, and providing care in that sense, but also providing services. So driving your grandchildren to school, picking them up from school. And then the third aspect of providing tangible support would be for those custodial grandparents who are responsible for raising their grandchildren. And so that was providing tangible support where it's very clear, okay, these are things you can see, these are things that you're doing, you're engaging in. But then providing intangible support is just as, if not more important. And those were things like acting as a connector between past generations of the family, but also current family. So some grandparents talked about 
they felt their role is to be able to extend their children's network of people who love and support them by introducing them to their own siblings or to uh, other family members, making sure that that family unit as a whole is really tight and supportive and behind the grandchild and making sure that the grandchild knows that. But then also things like supporting intellectual development. So this would be um, educational in nature for the most part. And then the biggest one in providing intangible support is focusing on social emotional development. This was one of the only ones that had a, a trickle down within it. And so supporting emotional and social development was so important that there were other aspects of it. And this would be where things like providing love and support and acceptance would be, but also being consistent, being dependable, making sure that you're a positive influence and a role model in the life of your grandchildren, being encouraging and advocating for them on their behalf, uh, showing grandchildren their value. That was a, a really interesting piece where grandparents wanted to make sure that their grandchildren knew that they were special and in whatever way that they wanted to convey that, whether that was telling them or showing them or highlighting hey, the way that you thought about that was really special because X, Y, Z. And then also just being involved in their lives and spending time together, whatever that looks like. Whether you're in person spending time together or if you live further away from your grandchild, finding ways to spend time together through technology. That was really what encapsulated grandparents' purpose. And then when we get into what makes the relationship special, the breakdown there was within four different categories. And so the first one was specific actions or characteristics that the grandchild does that makes the relationship special. The next one was grandparent actions or characteristics that make the relationship special. And then the bi-directional interactions or characteristics of the relationship that make it special. And then the final category there is factors that prevent the relationship from being special. And so this, this could be things that we've already discussed, like the parent acting as a gatekeeper or a tone setter in the relationship or things like geographic distance that keep grandparents and grandchildren separated. And so when we're thinking about uh, specific characteristics or actions that grandchildren do that make the relationship special, the grandparents that were in my sample really talked about the, the way that the grandchildren just unconditionally love the grandparents and express their love, whether that's saying I love you or showing them I love you um, through physical affection or through other emotional or verbal sentiments. Also, just watching their grandchildren grow throughout life was something that grandparents really said made the relationship special, just having the opportunity to witness the development of this person that they've had, um, as one grandparent put it, a very small role in raising, uh, which I would argue grandparents play a very big role in raising their grandchildren, whether or not they're acting as those custodial grandparents, they still play a huge role in influencing their grandchildren. And then also just the, the grandchildren existing. There were a lot of grandparents who discussed either um, their grandchild being special because it was their only grandchild, or this grandchild was our miracle baby. We didn't expect her to live, and then she did. 
um, or this grandchild's adopted and that makes them really special because they get to become a part of our family and we also get to help them learn about where they came from in that specific circumstance. And then grandparents also felt that they specifically had some specific characteristics or actions that made that relationship special. And those were things like expressing their love for their grandchildren and saying that the love that they feel for their grandchildren is unmatched from or unique from love that they feel for other people, other things. Um, They love their grandchildren in a way that they didn't know was possible until they had grandchildren. They also talked about- yeah, there was also discussion of the the great responsibilities of being a grandparent that are not associated with being a parent. So the idea that you get to have a lot of fun with them and do great things with them, and then you don't really have to take care of them in the same way that a parent does. So it's a little bit less responsibility in that sense, which grandparents really liked. And then for those who act as the custodial grandparent, they do have those parental responsibilities. And so it was interesting to see that for the recreational grandparents, for a select set, not having those responsibilities was something that made the role special. But then for those who did have those responsibilities, they also viewed that as something that made their role special. That is interesting. Yeah, it's kind of like a a two-sided coin that gave me a lot of hope, regardless of the circumstance that you're in, you're able to be hopeful in the situation and find sort of that silver lining of, of what makes the relationship special and unique, which was neat to see. There's also that bi-directional piece. And so these would be things like shared feelings or shared experiences. Um, a lot of the time these come from building memories together. So this would be at the Marine Science Museum. Uh, for example, my grandmother and I used to play a game where we would Go from, uh, go from the outside to the inside and there was a bridge you would have to cross and she would stand under the bridge and I would run across and she was a troll. Um, and so I had to escape from the troll before the <laughs> troll came out from under the bridge. And I mean, this was over 20 years ago and I still remember it and she remembers it and it's something we talk about every now and then. Those types of things are really special. Building those shared experiences is important. It instilled this mutual bond between us where we have something to reflect back on and chuckle about, Um, but it's a great memory for both of us. And so those are the types of things that I would include in that bi-directional interactions. There was also a category that I called non-specific, and that was for people who said things like, everything makes the relationship special. Um, or anything you can think of makes the relationship special. And so I love the enthusiasm, but I was like, this is just sort of a a catch-all category at this point. (laughs) And then if we're moving on to the teaching and learning piece or that the bi-directional learning and teaching piece, this I broke down into what grandparents teach grandchildren and then what grandparents learn from grandchildren. A lot of the things that grandparents felt they had taught their grandchildren were related to life skills, whether those are concrete things like being able to tie shoes or more abstract things like learning how to uh, balance a spreadsheet or, or learning how to count money. Those are all really important things to know how to do. And then also strategies for success. So just how to carry yourself in, in the world, how to be respectful for your surroundings. 
uh, both other people, but also the environment. There were a lot of grandparents who really valued the environment and talked about how they would bring their grandchildren to parks or they would go to the lake or the river, but to be respectful of the environment and to leave it the way that you found it or to be aware of what's happening in nature and to listen to it, which I thought was really powerful and, and a great idea for adventures to have with your grandchildren because that's a free option and something that everyone can learn from. And then there was also things like the importance of family. And then again, that non-specific piece where there were people who said, oh, I've taught my grandchildren lots of different things, or I don't know, I haven't taught my grandchild anything, which I challenge those people to go back and think about something because I, I have no doubt that every grandparent who's listening has taught their grandchild something, whether they realize it or not. It's also the whole thing about playing is what you learn from play, whether you're the child or the grandchild or the grandparent, just the whole concept of playing is a teaching moment, even though it's not an intentional teaching moment. It's just one of those things that happen. And play is so important. I mean, when, when we think back to some of those other things about what grandparents feel their purpose is as a grandparent, and we see both intellectual development, but also social emotional development, play has been proven to help in all of those different developmental domains or different aspects of development. And so you can never go wrong when in doubt, just turn off your your rational brain, turn on your playful brain, and don't be afraid to, to get silly or be silly and follow your grandchild's lead because play is great for everyone across the whole lifespan. So I'm really glad that you brought that up. I've talked on the podcast before where I've taken my grandchildren geocaching and we've hunted for shark's teeth and other fossils. And it's never been my intention for that to be an intentional academic lesson. But Mm -hmm. the byproduct of all of those fun activities is that my grandchildren learn things and I learn things too. So it's really being open to the definitions of some of these words, I think is important. Right. And I think, again, sort of just being spontaneous and, and going where the conversation goes, going where their interests go and where your own interests go. Uh, I know there were several times with with my own grandmother where we would be out on on a walk in the neighborhood. Thankfully, we lived in a neighborhood that had a, a park not far down. And so we would walk to the park and pick up leaves. And, and I started asking her questions about why does this leaf look different than this one? And, and she said, you know, I don't really know, but that's a great question. Why don't we figure it out? And we spent the next day in the library trying to find books that were age appropriate and accessible for me so that we could answer some of those questions. And so our walk in the park segued into a trip to the library, which is also free and very affordable um, and a great way to, to spend time just exploring all of those different possibilities too. My biggest encouragement could just be to let go of the plans that you have and, and just sort of follow wherever the path leads when you have the flexibility to do so. And that's the fun part of being a grandparent. Right. Hopefully, as a grandparent, you have the flexibility to say, yeah, we were going to cook dinner, but instead, let's go do this 
and then we'll come back and, and handle dinner later, <laughs> um, which parents might not have that luxury, yeah. but as a grandparent, hopefully you do. The final category that I, I think we touched on but didn't completely get to is what grandparents learn from grandchildren. This one was really interesting to me because I, I truly didn't know what to expect when I was looking through the responses. I said, I'll ask this question because I know that that bi-directional teaching and learning is important. But I feel like this has the, the least evidence related to it that's available. And so grandparents here said that they learned how to appreciate other generations because of the way that our society is structured. There's a lot of siloing where if you're in school, then you're in school with people your own age. When you go to college, you're in college with people your own age for the most part. When you're in the workforce, there might be one or two generations that are in the workforce. Typically, now we're in a workforce that has like four or five, but typically you would only be with one or two other generations. And then when you're older and retired, then you're with your your own cohort. And so there's a lot of natural siloing that leads us as a society to say, oh, well, those millennials do this or those millennials do that. These Gen Zers are this way. And having grandchildren allows you to see firsthand okay, this is an individual from Generation Z, but they don't tick all the boxes here that I see for what, what the news is saying Gen Zers are like. And vice versa, your grandchildren can also have the same experience of saying, well, my grandma's really good at using technology, so I don't know why there are all these stereotypes around older adults not knowing how to use technology. And so that was a really powerful piece that, that grandparents said they learned how to appreciate other generations and see their value. Also, their their grandchildren reinforce the importance of family and just how um, being able to prioritize family and put family first is important to them. Also, the importance of being compassionate and just, again, as you said earlier, looking through the eyes of children, um, oftentimes, especially with young children, their their hearts are so pure and, and they just want the best for everyone. And so being able to see sort of that unfiltered, loving spirit from children, both young children and, and to an extent older children as well, um, was really powerful for grandparents. Also things like being spontaneous, of so just enjoying life, living in the moment, not taking anything for granted because grandchildren grow up so fast. And so learning how to appreciate where you are when you're there so that you can remember those moments and, and cherish those moments. And then also things like embracing grandchildren's interests, which is also something that we've talked about. So if you have a grandchild who is very interested in dinosaurs, you may find yourself learning more about dinosaurs as a result, and perhaps also appreciating the reason behind why they love dinosaurs, because they love this idea of something so large in, in life and, and having these creatures that are so powerful, but yet some dinosaurs are so kind and, and looking at all of these different things from the eyes of their grandchildren. And so I thought that was really interesting and goes back to that idea of perspective taking that we talked about earlier in the conversation as well. Now, did you find any big differences between younger grandparents and older grandparents or were the values and 
and attitudes about the same. I ended up breaking down the sample a little bit because I was interested in looking at, okay, if we look at some different demographic factors, how do the results differ or stay the same? And so I was really fortunate in that there was a fairly even split in my sample. About 20% of grandparents were under the age of 60, 27 were between 60 and 65, 25 were between 66 and 70, and 26 were over 70. And the things that were similar were the types of activities that were carried out with children. That was something that really remained constant, which I wasn't necessarily expecting. Um, you would think that, that the types of activities that you're able to do and interested in doing from a, a physical perspective, but also from a, a time perspective. Um, some of those younger grandparents may have been working at a higher rate than those in the, the middle and older category. Some of the differences were that the younger grandparents rated their importance higher than older grandparents. And they also felt that they were more effective or better in their role as grandparents. And part of it could be that the younger grandparents have, in general, younger grandchildren, and they can see their use in more of those tangible aspects of potentially providing childcare or uh, babysitting and taking the children to school. Whereas older grandparents, when you get into the range of your grandchildren being in middle childhood, being teenagers or older, the direct impact that you have as a grandparent may not be as measurable in the same way as it is for you when your grandchildren are much younger. Something that was really interesting was that older grandparents rated the quality of their relationships with their grandchildren higher, regardless of the grandchild's age. And so I'm not entirely sure why this is the case. That's part of the exciting part of doing preliminary research like this is that I have lots of new questions that I get to go explore now and figure out why some of the findings <laughs> shaped out the way that they did. My hypothesis is that older grandparents probably have just a better perspective on life, have been through more of the stages of their grandchildren, and are able to be more appreciative of the relationships that they've been able to have and stop sweating the small stuff as much um, as my own grandmother would say. That's her favorite catchphrase is not to sweat the small stuff. They might not be getting hung up on the, the pieces of the relationship that they'd like to change as often. And then finally, the, the challenges were a little bit different. Things like not being able to keep up physically with grandchildren was something that was cited more by those in that over 70 category, it was still a pretty low percentage, but it was cited more often than those in the under 60 category or in those in their 60s. That was predominantly one. Um, and then, as I said earlier, those in the under 60 category were busier working, or if they had retired, they were busier being involved with the community um, and, and doing other activities and hobbies that they were interested in that could potentially cause some barriers with time. And so those were the, the big similarities and differences between those in different age groups. What about differences between grandfathers and grandmothers? Unsurprisingly, in a lot of the, the work that's done, there's more grandmothers who are interested in participating in studies. And that was no exception for, for my work. So the, the sample was about 84% female and then about 15% male. And so there are many more grandmothers than grandfathers. 
And the things that were the same are things that we would expect if you're spending time with a grandparent pair. So the, the amount of contact that they had with their grandchildren was the same. Their reported efficacy or, or how well they rated themselves doing as grandparents was around the same. And the perceived quality of the relationship with their grandchildren was rated about the same. The difference is, and this really reflects uh, how we view grandparent roles, both grandmother roles and grandfather roles. And when we think stereotypically about what does a grandmother look like versus what, is, what does a grandfather look like, we see that grandmothers within this sample and within society are seen as being more relational more hands-on and taking on a more nurturing role. That was to be expected. But then what I found with the grandfathers was that they acknowledged that they were perhaps not as relational or nurturing, but they really wanted to be more hands-on and they wanted to have more involvement with their grandchildren. They wanted resources to help them learn how to be more involved with their grandchildren. And I thought that was really encouraging that that grandfathers really want to be active in the role and be engaged in the role in the best way that they can. That is encouraging. And, and I've had conversations with other grandparents and they modeled their grandparenting on how they were grandparented. And that was a positive and a negative. If they had grandparents who were very absent, they wanted to be very intentional. And some who said, you know, my grandparents meant the world to me and they wanted to take, they wanted to keep that. And my takeaway from those conversations has been that we live in an era where grandparents take their roles seriously and they want to have relationships with their grandchildren. Absolutely. That is something that I saw. And again, those who are taking the survey are more likely to be involved grandparents and really care about the role. But I think in general, we're seeing a shift to a much more hands-on form of grandparenting, where it's something that people see as one of their most important roles, and they really strive to support their grandchildren and their children in, in raising good, honest, strong, independent people. And that's really empowering for families, but also thinking about what we're contributing to the world with, with both grandparents and children and grandchildren. We want strong people who are good contributors, good listeners. And I think grandparenting is a great place to start with creating a society where people are contributing and know what it means to be part of a, a system that supports one another and wants the best for one another. I was reading over some of your references and a couple of them stood out to me because I had also read the same studies in researching for my book and even for the basis of where I'm going with my podcast. But there's mm -hmm. a study conducted by AARP. It's a National Survey on Grandparenting. And I'm wondering if you had any specific correlations between what that study found and what you found? Or did you look at that? I did. And a lot of the questions that I used in my own survey were taken from this AARP study. And one of the reasons I, I did my own study off of that is because AARP didn't include any of the information about, well, who was taking the survey, who responded certain ways. And I really wanted to be able to do that breakdown of, okay, when we look at age, how do those 
under 60 compared to those over 70 and so on and so forth. And so I was able to break it down. The majority of my results aligned with what AARP said, which is good because they had a, a larger sample. As you can imagine, they're a, a national platform. And so they have more resources at their disposal than I think their survey was only about a thousand participants. But for the most part, my work really reflected theirs. One thing that I did do differently was be intentional about making sure that I was capturing the voices of custodial grandparents, because that's a piece of the population that's growing and it wasn't necessarily captured in the AARP survey. Most of the responses that I have related to raising children or taking on primary care responsibilities, those weren't present in the AARP study. But otherwise, the results were very similar. I think your observation about lack of research on custodial grandparents is is right on and that we as a society really need to pay more attention to that. I have noticed across the United States, groups are sprouting up where they're looking at this and they're, they're specifically reaching out to these custodial grandparents to help them. And I find that quite encouraging. There are definitely several different pockets that are of the United States and, and different organizations that are really working to be intentional about creating space and creating support and resources for this group of grandparents. Um, one in particular that I would love to shout out is Generations United. And they're a company or an organization, a nonprofit that's based out of DC. And they've done work related to really broad intergenerational connections. They started with looking at shared sites and work in the community, but then also families. And they've started the first national, essentially a help center for custodial grandparents or grandparent caregivers, where if you find yourself in a situation where you've been thrust into this role of taking on primary care responsibilities for your grandchildren, you can call them and they can help you sort through, okay, what resources do you have available? Legally, do you need any type of support? They've connected with state agencies in every state to help you get connected because that's one of the biggest problems. It, it's a, a jarring situation for many grandparents and not knowing where to start, not knowing how to find the help that you need while also trying to provide the best care that you can to your grandchildren is really overwhelming. And so it's it's encouraging to see that there's not only more research being done on this specific population, but also that the resources are coming out just as quickly, which is really important. I know of a heartbreaking situation where a grandparent had raised her grandchildren for seven or eight years and the grandmother, I mean, the biological mother came back and there had never been a, a formal custody or adoption or anything in place. And mm -hmm. the mother came back and took the kids for an outing and just never came back. And yeah. that was excruciatingly painful for this grandmother. Providing grandparents with all of the resources that, that they can and letting them know their rights as grandparents, but also as temporary or if it, if it comes to it being permanent caretakers and how to ensure that ultimately their grandchildren are receiving the best care 
regardless of who they're being cared for by is really the, the priority there. It's, it's good that there are resources because unfortunately, more often than not, when you hear stories of custodial grandparents, it, it is often heartbreaking. Um, either the circumstances that lead them to being in those situations or the, the aftermath of um, children just being completely uprooted from stable situations with their grandparents. I have thoroughly enjoyed talking with you. It's just, it's been, it's been fascinating. Let's wrap up our conversation by talking about your summary of what you learned. You, you told me there were three big points that you learned and can you discuss those and let's just talk about that for a few minutes. In a roundabout way, uh, if not explicitly talked about all of these, my first big takeaway is that intergenerational relationships or grandparent-grandchild relationships have to be intentional. And so, yes, when you are with your grandchild, there may be opportunities for learning and play to just spring up, but having that space needs to be intentional. And so having the opportunities to have those sorts of interactions needs to be intentional. Um, and that also brings back the, the idea that the parents need to be participants in that as well and help to facilitate those interactions. And so it's really a full family effort to make sure that grandparents and grandchildren have opportunities to connect with one another. The second point is that this bi-directional teaching and learning is so important. And that's really where meaningful connections happen. So connections that create those strong memories, but also connections that help with learning, growth, development, not only for grandchildren, whether they're in early childhood, middle childhood, adolescence, adulthood, but also for grandparents, whether they're in middle adulthood, older adulthood. It's so important that we have those types of back and forth relationships with people from different generations to, to really, I mean, really feed our souls, but also to feed our brains and our hearts. It's, it's important that we have that to connect with one another, but stay connected to ourselves as well. And then the last piece is this idea that modern family systems are extraordinarily complex. I'm sure that many of the people in your community who are listening to this right now either have some sort of blended family where there's a, a step-parent, a step-grandparent, or stepchildren and step-grandchildren. I referenced participant who talked about having an adopted grandchild, and there are all kinds of different family systems, whether it's the custodial grandparents or, or other complicated, not necessarily bad, just complicated, complex family systems that exist now in our society. And so acknowledging that there are lots of different ways to be part of a family and lots of different ways to have connections with people is important as we're thinking about what does it mean to be a grandparent? It's not strictly biological anymore, even within family systems. And so being aware that families and relationships can take lots of different forms is important as well. That's a really great summary of what we've discussed, Abby. And thank you for sharing your research. I am so excited for you that you have your doctorate and that you are embarking on activities that will help us understand and have a good impact, on a, a positive impact on the grandparent, grandchild, and even the, the child relationship. Thank you so much for sharing all of this with us. I hope you have enjoyed today's episode of the Adventures with Grammy podcast. 
You will find the links to our guests and the topics we discussed in this episode's show notes. If you would like to be a guest or if you know someone who would be an awesome guest, please connect with me at carolyn at adventureswithgrammy.com.